Well, there you have another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. Today's guest, Mr. Chad Walker, is a United States Navy veteran. He's also an entrepreneur, a visionary, a problem solver, doing things both in the private business world and in the nonprofit sector. His ideas about networking and teamwork are what makes America a better place and what makes this show so enjoyable. And thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio. Thank you. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night You were born to fight You gotta light them up My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. Save us all before they burn it down. Our veteran guest for this episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio is Mr. Chad Walker. He's a founder. He's actually a lot of different things, and we're going to get into it. First and foremost, he's a Navy veteran, and thank you for being part of the world's finest Navy. Uh, appreciate your service in that Navy. But you're doing a lot of things. Not only are you a founder of the clientele app and Operation Green Shield, you're doing a lot of things that are outside the box, and we're going to get to those. In, in fact, you self-describe yourself as aggressively proactive, that you're always looking for solutions, and you know there's challenges. So I like that type of thinking. Chad has spent the last three years creating real-world solutions in both the urban tech and nonprofit space. He's going to talk a little bit about those. As a, as a veteran-turned-entrepreneur, and that's what exactly what he is, he's developed a unique perspective when it comes to quality of life. He aspires to create lasting change throughout the veteran community in the coming years with his nonprofit organization, Operation Green Shield, as well as bringing balance to the construction and home services industry with his clientele app. Chad is always quick to answer when asked if the change he's working toward is truly possible. And here's his quote, and I love this quote. I hope I don't get him in trouble. But outside of his first marriage, Chad says he doesn't fail very often. And uh, I believe him. Hey, Chad, welcome to Straight Outta Combat Radio. Uh, Thanks for having me, brother. Absolutely, man. You know, all the kidding aside, you know, it is the world's finest Navy. And it's because of men like you that, you know, that, that raise the right hand and swore an oath to our Constitution to protect and defend this country. And without the Navy we have, there's a lot of things we wouldn't have back home. So my heart goes out to you and anybody else out there who's been in the Navy or continues with their service in the Navy protecting this great country. Thank you. Oh, man, it was my pleasure. You know, it's uh, one of the greatest experiences of my life outside of, uh, obviously, the birth of my children and, and meeting my current wife. (laughs) (laughs) awesome brother so let's let's back up a bit let's you know let's let's dig into the walker household and tell us a little bit about that chad what was that like you know who were your mentors and 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 what were you dealing with and then how did you get to the navy all right yeah i mean i i came up in a small town usa a little town here in florida bartow it's the county seat of polk county um very much small town everyone knows everyone because of the way things, things worked in my home, I was a product of a single mother. Uh, parents married very young, didn't last. 
And uh, so I grew up for the most part uh, without any kind of a father figure in the home. And, you know, there was the standard rotation of, you know, boyfriends and there was a couple of remarriages along the way, but I never had any consistent male influence in my world. I was raised around some incredibly strong women. Uh, I was blessed to grow up with two great grandmothers uh, who were just a wealth of, of knowledge growing up. Several very sometimes over-involved aunts and uh, obviously my mother and my grandmother had a huge influence on me as well. Uh, but for me, when I was growing up, I'd go hang out with other friends and it was their fathers. Some of their fathers were some of the greatest influences on me and shaping uh, the kind of man that I wanted to be when I grew up, uh, along with my grandmother's brothers. Was there any military in the background? Was it discussed ever as you were coming along or did you have this vision of being in the Navy? What was happening? Uh, the Navy was, was, was kind of a, uh, a fluke, really. Uh, my grandmother's brothers, like I said, uh, were a big influence on me. Uh, one of them served in the 101st, uh, and the other was, uh, flu reconnaissance in Vietnam. And he never really spoke that much about, uh, his, his service. Um, but you could tell it was something that was obviously very influential and it, uh, really shaped who he was. Uh, both of them for the, for the most part. Uh, my other uncle, I would always listen to him tell stories of the places he had been and the things he had seen. And I would sit there wide eyed. I'm going to see all that someday. I'm going to see all that someday. And fast forward, I was uh, a teenage guy, highly intelligent and had no, again, no real male influence in my life. So no one could tell me anything. So I uh, went to school when I felt like. I did homework when I felt like, which was not often because <laughs> I thought, you know, with, with my intelligence that the world was just going to roll over and, and show me its belly whenever I walked out of high school. One of the strongest influences I had as a teenage boy, uh, a good friend of mine's father, who was also our high school principal, a man by the name of uh, Ernie Cooper. He used to tell me all the time, son, that, that it's not going to work out the way you think it's going to. You got to buckle down. Of course, I didn't want to hear anything. But uh, years later, he was proven absolutely correct. Amazing how that happens. We look at these yeah. older people and it's like, you know, you don't know what the heck you're talking about. Yeah, I find myself having that conversation with my own teenage children today. Oh, so yeah. It's, uh, it's very, <laughs> it, it, it's a uh, circle of life is a real thing. So when did you go into the Navy? Right after high school? No. You know, I, I rolled out. I, I decided, you know, with my intellect, every college in the country would definitely want to have me on their campus. And many of them were willing to after I paid them thousands of dollars, uh, which I didn't have. So I started working and kind of just muddling my way through for a couple of years. And uh, my younger brother found himself uh, getting in and, in and out of trouble constantly. Well, one of the schools he had been kicked out of sent him to a job a job corps program while he was there he had taken the asvab so recruiter he did very well in the asvab very very intelligent in his own right the recruiters were calling constantly saying oh we'll give him fifteen thousand dollars if he joins up today so we ended up having this conversation and you know basically telling him look man you're going to ruin your life why don't you go do this get some structure make some money you know pay for college and he looked at me so it was so great why don't you do it and I looked at him and I said, well, if I do it, will you do it? He said, well, if you do it, I'll do it. So I walked down to the recruiting offices the next day. And uh, my grandmother always had a picture of her father in his dress whites. 
And uh, I remember seeing it all the time when I was a kid. So that really was the only thing that steered me into that Navy recruiting office. I uh, walked in. The desk closest to the door was uh, electrician's mate, second class, Julius Poe. I will never forget the man's name because he looked shocked when I told him I was going to join the Navy. Um, I took the ASVAB test. I think I scored like a 98, and uh, they couldn't get me to the MEPS fast enough. So I signed up, shipped off. Um, interestingly enough, I was there in October of 2000. Yeah, it was October of 2000, and it was the day that the USS Cole was bombed is when I was at the MEPS in Tampa, Florida. Mm. And it came on the news, and of course everyone in the Navy office was was watching the news, and I'm waiting to see a detailer to tell me you know, what the Navy can do for me. And people actually got up and walked out. And I thought that was uh, pretty amazing that you had signed up, you, were, you wanted to join, but then you find out that there might actually be some fighting involved, and they left. So, so I, some uh, people actually... They got up and left and just they, oh, they they got up and walked out. It was and I can remember them. They said that wait, we're getting bombed? <laughs> and they got up and walked out. Man. And of course you had some you had some old school, some salty chiefs in the room that were letting them have it as they went out the door telling me, yeah, they didn't want them in their navy anyways. Uh, but I stayed, I signed up, you know, and I had made the commitment at that point. That's something that uh, the military was very suited for my personality type is once I commit to something, that's it. I'm 100% in. There's no backing off. There's no turning around. I'm in it. So I stayed in. I had an incredible six years in the Navy. I came out of it a little, little dented, little dinged with uh, three children. So uh, I will never hear me complain. <laughs> That's like going to war itself right there with three kids. But so tell us about basic training. What was it like? You know, intellectually, you were there. What was the basic training like? Is, and was there anything in basic training that stuck out where you went, holy cow? Really, uh, basic for me, I, I had a blast. I was already physically fit. Uh, when I made the decision to go, I, there was a short window. They called it the delayed entry program back then. I don't know if they still call it that now. But there was a short window where I was like, okay, I'm going to boot camp. Let me make sure I'm 100% ready. And I had myself in fairly good physical condition. So the physical part of it, was just fun for me because I, I enjoy being pushed physically. Uh, the mental part I enjoyed. I, I got the whole, okay, tear us down, build us up part of it. And, uh, I moved immediately like day one into a leadership role and stayed there throughout. And I, I really enjoyed that part of it, helping guys, helping bring them up to a place where they, a lot of them didn't think they could be. Um, I taught a couple of guys in boot camp how to swim in the barracks by having guys link arms and have them lay across their arms and teaching them like, right, when you hit the water, this is what you're going to do. So, I mean, I, I, I really took the leadership really early on. And that was something that I had no plans to do. I just kind of found myself there and it was a good fit. Uh, I, uh, let's see, I had an electrician's mate, Schaefer, damage controlman, Shantry and uh, GSMC Healy. For my uh, RDCs and boot camp, definitely a, a, a pivotal time in a young person's life, and you know, and, and you're right, you know, there, it's it's an amazing opportunity if you have those leadership skills to actually test them out. Uh, the whole thing of teamwork and even de facto leadership training takes place there all the time. It's pretty amazing. But my entire time in the military, I think, is really I was 
probably shocked more than anyone because a lot of people can believe I had joined the military to begin with. But I was really shocked at uh, I had found myself in an environment where you really are judged solely on your ability and your drive. Whereas, you know, out in, out in, the, in the civilian world, a lot of times you know, there's a reason that the saying is not what you know, it's who you know exists. Because there are plenty of people in the civilian world that have gotten to a very high levels of authority and literally not had a clue just based on, you know, you know, whatever last name they put down on the application. So in the military, the more driven I was, the more I succeeded. So I took to it. I mean, I loved it. I ate it up. It's amazing. Um, that's a good viewpoint. And I'm glad you pointed that out because, you know, not to bash the civilian structure, but it's amazing how you can be motivated and want to excel and be in that environment and to actually be pushed back because of it, you know, and you're no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, coming from, I mean, coming from my background where, you know, you definitely, for the majority of my life, I've grown up where, you know, well South of the poverty line. And I've, you know, I've lived in some rough neighborhoods and I, there were some dark times in my early years, but when, when you're trying to move beyond that and uh, uh, the people around you, basically that's all they see. That's all they can see is where you're coming from. They don't see the potential of where you're going. So in in the military, when you get in there, it's it's a clean slate. I mean, that right down to the shaved heads, it's everyone's on the same level, and it's your drive and your ability that dictates where you go. Great points. You know, tell us a little bit about you know any of the dangerous waters you were in in the Navy, any of your deployments, and what that was like. Uh, well, you know, I. We did a, a joint drug task force back in 03, and that's, uh, it was like the wild, wild west. I was really shocked, you know, because I, I really wasn't part of the, the drug scene as a younger man. And to see the, uh, the just brazen way these guys are trying to run drugs into the country through the Gulf of Mexico, either via, you know, fast moving, fast moving boats or bringing in on a fishing vessel. Like we were making $70 million drug seizures. Um, this deployment. I mean, it was absolutely insane. We, I think we were one of the first Navy ships to, to berth a, a Coast Guard helo uh, so we could actually uh, use the Coast Guard helo to fire on fast-moving boats. And, I mean, these guys are in the dead of night traveling 70, 80 miles an hour, and they're armed to the teeth, and their whole mission is to get from point A to point B, and they're looking to go through anybody that's in their way. So, you know, we got to put ourselves in the way. And it was a good time. I had a blast. And then back in 05, uh, we did uh, counter piracy off the coast of Somalia. That was a very eye opening experience. Um, just unbelievable the amount of traffic that comes through, you know, there around, you know, the Horn of Africa. And uh, it, these guys are coming out on 25 foot little fishing skiffs with AK-47s and RPGs and taking over massive vessels. As part of the global war on terror surge back then, what uh, we did is we changed the uh, directives for the shipboard boarding teams. So we were no longer required to only do compliant boardings. So you've got you know different levels of boardings that you do. You've got compliant, which is basically you radio over, hey, we're the Navy, we're going to come check out what you're carrying. They say sure, and they roll off the red carpet. And you've got non-compliant, where they're not exactly cooperating. And then you've got opposed, which uh, opposed is strictly, you know, it's for the special warfare guys. And 
uh, we, we had shifted to where we were doing compliant and non-compliant back then. So it, it made for some interesting experiences. So those pirates, were they, how offshore was this? Was this within sight of the land or way out in open waters or what was? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're in open water, but you're not that far out. Uh, typically what they were doing back then, and I've been out for a while, so they'd come out, they'd take over a ship and they'd, they'd bring it in, you know, just offshore. And they'd hold it until either the country or company that laid claim to it would pay a ransom and they'd turn them loose. And this was a that's just a regular occurrence, and of course, all that money is getting funneled back into terrorist organizations. So, uh, our primary goal back then was, you know, identifying where they were, how many there were, you know, what type of weapons they had at their disposal, what kind of comms were they using. So, we just got, we're, we're painting a clear picture of what the situation was back then, because it was really, really crazy. Can you think of an instance that you can share that was? kind of eye-opening, you know, the brazenness of these people or, you know, just something that y'all did that sticks out in your mind. Did you think you were making a difference? Definitely felt like we were making a difference. Uh, I mean, we, because we did take some people in and, you know, we we did some prisoner drop-offs down in Mabasa, Kenya. Uh, I think the most brazen thing I saw on that particular deployment, what was that deployment? Uh, We went out as an amphibious assault group and... Uh, another group that was north of us actually had the pirates engage their ship. I mean, these guys went out and actually engaged a Navy warship from little fishing boats. I mean, that to me just kind of, it blew my mind. Now, the fact that, you know, the restraint that was shown on that part where, you know, they end up taking these guys into custody. So that's a strong resolve to go up against, you know, David and Goliath, but you're David without a sling or a rock. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of, it's, the sad part is a lot of these, these guys get taken in at a very young age. Uh, there's not a lot of choice involved in it and they're, they're forced into this role and it's either piracy or death. So it's, it's a hard moral place to be when it comes to trying to combat them. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, the decision to, you know, end your service. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and about your transition. All right. Yeah. My, uh, the decision really was not made by me. I was actually, I was suffering from uh, a few different uh, spinal injuries and a head injury that was causing me to uh, uh, slowly lose my sight at the time. This is back in 2006. And the doctors were trying to figure out exactly what was going on. They had put me into the med board process when I got back from my last deployment. But my my particular ship was doing a 90-day turnaround. So we were coming off of a, of a six-month doing 90 days at home and turning right back around and, and going back out. My reenlistment bonus at the time was like $48,000. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll tough it out. I'll reenlist. And then when I go to shore duty, I'll let the doctors fix me then. So I'm pushing myself through a med board process, telling everybody, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, even though the tests were saying that I wasn't. Um, it was in this 90-day window that I actually uh, separated from my first wife. And the court awarded me sole custody of all three of my children. So I became a single parent uh, literally overnight. And that took me to a place where I, I never in my life ever imagined I would be. And the Navy said, well, now you can't deploy. So they went ahead and processed me out rather than allowing me to reenlist. 
so I went from being deployed probably 75% of my enlistment and, you know, seeing my children when I could to being a full-time single dad with three children under the age of six. So it was quite the transition. Kind of a, yeah, quite the transition, kind of a rude awakening and, and a change of worlds rather quickly. Oh, absolutely. So did you come back to Florida after that or what happened? Yeah, it was one of those, uh, it's, uh, I think I need to go home, have some family around me to you know have a little bit of support. I got out uh, November of 06. I came home and told myself, look, I'm going to take it easy, spend the holidays with my family, spend the holidays with my kids, kind of get reacquainted with my kids, you know, because they're going through a crazy transition. So I kind of put my, my transition on the back burner and, and focus more so on theirs. Decided I'd look for, look for work after the beginning of the year. And I actually walked right into a job in engineering at Disney, um, in December of 06. So I went straight to work. Um, the bad part in all of that was that when I got out, they handed me my you know, phone book size medical record and said, just take this to the VA when you get home and uh, they'll take care of you. And I found out very quickly that that was not to be the case. So what was that experience like? So you went to the VA, you had, you had this dossier, if you will, of you know, your medical records and you were seeking, t- what were you doing? What were you trying to... I, initially, I just wanted to be seen by a doctor and kind of pick up where I had left off with, uh, with the, the Navy docs to figure out what was going on, what they could do to treat it. Because at that point, um, I have uh, what they call now intracranial hypertension. So I have excessive pressure on my brain uh, at all times. I've had a headache for over a decade every day. Is that a, uh, it's hereditary? No, it's, uh, it's related to a brain injury is what they're telling me at this point, uh, which my head got knocked around at so many different times. They're not going to pinpoint it to one particular incident. They just diagnosed me with TBI, with intracranial hypertension, sent me on my way. But I have had over 30 lumbar punctures, spinal taps, to take that excessive pressure off because uh, it's. I, started, I was going to go blind if they didn't get the pressure under control. Mm. So I went to the VA, I handed my medical record, I filled out the application for care, and I'm working this whole time. And I'm working on I'm working on third shift to top it all off. Hmm. So my health is de- you know declining fairly rapidly. Um, and six months in, I got a letter from the VA that said uh, that I didn't qualify for VA care. No real explanation why, but it's just that I didn't qualify. So I went back in. They said, okay, we'll reapply. And this went on for two years. Two years of me being in and out of hospitals, uh, making co-payments through my insurance at work, trips to the emergency room, and no no care from the VA for two years. And if not for my younger brother that I talked about earlier, who took me up on on our agreement and he joined the Army shortly after uh, I uh, finished boot camp in the Navy, uh, he had gotten out of the Army and was going to the VA and asked me why I didn't. And I told him, I can't get in. Mm-hmm. He encouraged me to come with him to the VA, the James Haley Hospital there in Tampa, and at least get an ID card uh, for the VA. And uh, he said, everyone can get an ID card. Just take your DD-214. So I, I went with him. While I was in the ID office, I asked the lady 
I said, uh, is, there, is the same thing in your computer there why I can't be seen by a doctor at the VA? And uh, she looked at my DD-214, and, and uh, she said, well, well, you're a combat vet. I said, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I was paid, you know, I was paid as, you know, for being in combat, so oh, is there a reason why a combat vet can't be seen here? She said, no, you should have been seen already. There's been a mistake. At that point, they called a, a patient advocate up, and he walked me over to the comp and pen area and introduced me to my doctor. And my comp and pen process took about 27 days from that point forward, and I was rated at, I think, 70%. The first time I, I went through the process. Uh, now, subsequently, I'm 100%, but they had realized they had made a mistake. And, you know, in my eyes, they made it right. You know, they got me through as fast as possible. I'm one of those those rare guys that I don't complain about the VA constantly. I definitely uh, identify what, what the problems are, and I'm willing to talk about that. Complaining about a problem without offering a solution is not really lifestyle yeah undoubtedly you know so you know persistence definitely pays off and there's a lot of people that i've talked to over the years that like you just pointed out chad you know they complain and they complain and when you complain it comes back to you and some give up some never get the help that they could probably get if they were persistent and complain less but you know it is a process and we're not going to say that it's the end all to catch all but or the catch all to end all but you know, you sometimes have to work before you can move forward. And Absolutely. I, you know, yeah. So that's a perfect example of dealing with what you're dealt dealt with and then making sure that you have the persistence and the drive, just like you did when you first went in to the Navy, to, to find a resolution. Yeah, I, I say it all the time, you know. And I said it when I was in leadership in the military. I was like, don't come with, to me with a, with a problem. Come to me with a solution. So I, I I will not dispute that there's a problem, but to sit and just complain about the problem doesn't fix anything. It only compounds it, and it and when you compound all that negative energy, you take away other people's drive to solve the problem because it becomes this insurmountable obstacle. And I don't believe in insurmountable. You know, I, I I'm I'm a problem solver. That's just it's it's in my nature. I've done it my whole life. And you look at something like the VA and people want them to throw more money at it, more money at it. Uh, money definitely isn't the solution. Uh, so I, I think it's up to a lot of us in the veteran community to start working together to present possible solutions. Absolutely. So what, tell us what you're doing now about clientele and your nonprofit. Tell us how we don't have to go into, you know, how all that happened, but tell us why that, Tell us about them. All right. So uh, clientele happened first. Um, I was sitting at home, technically retired, if you want to call it that. I call it having more free time than any human being should have. But uh, my younger brother, uh, when he got out of the military, he started working in the construction space. And he's been there now for you know over 15 years. And he's gotten beaten up during his time working in construction and home services, you know, more specifically, you know, home remodels. And he called me uh, about 18 months ago and he got a call from a customer that wanted a kitchen remodel. He drove out to see him. The guy was a no call, no show. And then uh, demanded that my brother come back on his own time to uh, make right on the bid. And my brother told him, no, uh, you know, he's got other jobs to do, but this isn't the first time 
that something like this had happened. He called me just to vent, you know, to let me know that, man, these people are, are beating us up. They, they don't pay us. And then they turn around and give us negative ratings. You know, we should be able to rate them the same way. And that was really the extent of the conversation until about two hours later, my brother called me back and said, do you think we could do that? Do you think we could build something that would let contractors you know, rank their customers and share it with other contractors so they would know who they're dealing with? And I took a step back from it and thought about it. And I said, well, let me do some homework. So that's what I did. You know, I, I looked into it. And I wanted to identify how prevalent this problem was. Was it something that was happening to everybody or is it, you know, just guys here and there? And what I found was it's a huge problem in the construction industry that, that across the trades, people are losing 10% on average gross annually just from people not paying them. That's just non-payment. And then you take away the opportunity loss from dealing with people that are paying uh, that's another 10, 15% on top of that. So you're talking about billions of dollars, billions with a B dollars being lost every year by people in the trades just from working for the wrong people. And the industry is, is set up so that all of the accountability lies on one side of the transaction. That's on the contractor's side. That standard, there's no reason for that standard anymore. Other industries have embraced accountability on both sides. Uh, you've got things like Uber, where the driver and the rider can rate each other. Airbnb does the same thing with the renter and the person you know, who owns the property. They're allowed to rate each other. So that shared accountability uh, brings balance to, to those industries. Whereas with construction, there's no balance. It's all tilted to one side. That's, um, that's a, that's a very innovative fix and badly needed. You know, I can think of two companies not, not the, that we have dealt with that promised services, services that never delivered in the military space mm-hmm. and unbelievable. Um, the way the business is operated these days. And, you know, we have these techno tools and, and why not? I think that's a great idea, Chad. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it brings, it brings the same ability to every contractor and service provider that everyone, the customers already has, and they have had for over a decade. Um, it's just bringing a much needed balance into that industry. And it's, and so far, thankfully, um, contractors love it. You know, they love the idea and, uh, we're going to keep growing it. And the more people that use it, the more balance the industry will have. So how do people get a hold of that app? Uh, they can go in uh, either the Play Store or the App Store. It's available for iOS and Android. Uh, they can go directly to our website, uh, clientele, that's uh, T-E-L-L uh, dot app, and uh, register there. And it'll give them a link to whether they want to either Apple or Android. Um, it's just, it's as easy as can be. You know, imagine... Imagine yourself. So your business, you go to deal with someone. And someone wants to call you and they want to do business with John Protect. What do they do? They call you up. You answer the phone. They tell you what they want. You decide yes or no you're going to deal with that person based on that conversation. Now imagine if when that person called you, you knew immediately through your caller ID that that person had flaked out on two or three deals before they ever picked up the phone and called you. How much time does that save you? How much money does that save you? It's How a, much it, does that save you? It's a no-brainer. Uh, so yeah. yeah. Hit, hit, the, hit the do not answer button. You know Exactly. Exactly. And that's really, that's that's what we're offering contractors. You know, that's that's what we want to give them. That's a great fix, you know, and, and it, you know, transparency is, is 
is something that's so badly needed these days. And you know, Chad, that in the digital world, people can be whatever, whoever, however they want to be. Doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that the truth is always what we see. And, you know, applications like that, phone apps like that are things that we need to have to make this digital world accountable. So thank you for that. Yeah, man. Now you're nonprofit. Tell us about the nonprofit and what that vision is all about. Oh, man. So the nonprofit, um, during my time in retirement, um, which was about four years of sitting absolutely stagnant, and uh, I started driving my wife crazy. So she told me, you need to get out of the house, go volunteer somewhere. So there was a local nonprofit up here where I'm at in Ocala, Florida, and it's called Veterans Helping Veterans. Uh, it's been around for a long time. They had just opened a new facility, and uh, I decided I was going to go volunteer. So I started volunteering there two days a week. Incredible organization run by a gentleman, a Marine uh, named Hank Whittier. Um, basically, he is synonymous with all things veteran in Marion County. Um, I tell people I joke, I'm like, Hank is what I want to be when I grow up uh, <laughs> because he's, uh, he's done some amazing work for veterans in our area. So I started volunteering two days a week and uh, I was just answering phones. That's it. Just answering phones. But when I got there, they couldn't successfully deliver a phone message. They didn't have uh, people were answering the, the phone up there just saying hello. And this is this is a nonprofit organization. This is, this is a business. So I got there and in typical fashion, I took a step back and said, okay, so these are the issues that you have with your phone system. Allow me to fix them. And uh, by, by the time I was done, there was a scripted message for answering phones. There was actual uh, laid out how to transfer calls, how and when to deliver phone messages, what information to take down on the phone. I mean, it was just, it was like how to answer phones for dummies. I had written this whole training for it, basically. And about that, you know, a couple of weeks in after I'd gotten everything moving and suddenly people were getting their messages and everything was moving smoothly, the, uh, the director, Hank, came down and he looked at me and he said, I don't think we're utilizing you to your fullest potential. And I said, what do you got, man? Tell me what you got. And, you know, they laid out the, the areas they're struggling with. And you fast forward six months and I was the uh, director of operations <laughs> for the organization. Um, Good for you, I, man. But I started my own company and I, I wasn't able to devote the time that I, I wanted to. So I took a step away uh, to focus on the new business. And all the while, I was maintaining relationships with veterans in my community and some relationships with veterans nationwide that I had be, begun establishing. And I just kept getting called to come back to it, to come back to it. You know, as you know, you know, we, we have we've had some incidents recently where veterans have been committing suicide on property at the VA. And every time I, I hear about it, it just, it, it rang, it struck such a chord with me that I really felt pulled back to go into the nonprofit space. Because when I look at the problem that is the mental health system with the VA and within the veteran community at large, uh, people keep circling around the same things, the same answers. Uh, it's, it's gotta be this, this is the answer, or, you know, this cognitive therapy is, is what's going to fix PTSD or, or this new med or medical marijuana or this or that. And there's great evidence that each one of these things has a certain effect, but I don't believe in the one size fits all cure. I think, you know, we're all individuals, but I didn't see anyone really working to, to bring all of those 
different avenues and those different treatments and therapies under one umbrella. And um, that's really kind of where the light went off in my head that, you know, it's not about money. It's not Money is not going to solve the problems that we have in the veteran community. It's reach. It's the reach. If it was money, the VA would have would long since have cured all of our ails, correct? I mean, they've got a $200 billion budget. There's not a nonprofit in the country or in, anywhere else for matter that's touching that budget. Um, you know, you've got you know, monsters in the nonprofit space that raise hundreds of millions of dollars, yet these problems persist. What is happening is everyone stays in their own lane. And they're all chasing they're all chasing the dollar. Yeah. And they see each other as competition when in reality we all have a shared mission. We all want to improve the overall quality of life for veterans. So let's work together. Let's spread our resources out. And that's really I started reaching out to some other nonprofits that I had relationships with and I started looking at alternative therapies that uh, don't exist within the VA system that have had incredible success thus far, uh, some of which I've utilized myself through my experiences with the VA. And uh, I started reaching out to care providers and saying, look, you know, we're starting a charitable organization. We had applied for a 501c3 at that point, but we're looking to partner with care providers, nonprofits, therapists that we can send a veteran to you, we will cover all of the expenses, but we want to fully document their progress through their first 90 days to see, is it the right fit? Are they getting relief? That way we can begin to accumulate actionable data that we can then allow other organizations to influence change in policy. So right now I've, I have, Agreements with about a hundred nonprofit organizations across the United States, and that number grows every day because I've got people that are starting to reach out now. Um, it's called Green Shield. Yes. So Operation Green Shield, is, is the the shield part of it is is basically due to my own historical nerdiness. Um, the shield obviously is synonymous with uh, with fighting going back to as as far as recorded history will go. But uh, one of the strongest uh, military formations in history was the Greek phalanx. And the Greek phalanx was basically when they locked shields and created this impenetrable wall uh, that was an incredible uh, defensive formation. On the flip side of it, it was also one of the strongest offensive formations because at that point, once your shields were locked, you could advance as a unit. It changed the way wars were fought for a long, long time. So for me, by by me taking my organization and my shield and linking it with another organization and then linking that with another organization, now we start to build a wall that we can want at first and foremost start to shield and guard the veteran community from so many of the problems that we have. And then once we have enough of us locked together, now we can advance against those causes and against those issues and make real change. That's 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 the, the, the bottom line is real change. And it's not going to be found through money. It's going to be found through reach within the veteran community. But some, you know, some things that, you know, great concept, great philosophy and vision behind it. Absolutely. You know, a couple of things you pointed out. And, you know, one of them is nonprofits operating in a vacuum, in their own vacuum and thinking that they are in competition 
technically maybe, but in reality, not really, because the missions are also very similar, that they're much better linking their shields together than not being together. But another thing, too, that we've seen is how the public perception has sometimes been tainted because of the number of nonprofits that are out there that are not really doing what they say they're going to do. And so you got 10 nonprofits out there that don't want to work with anybody. They want to collect funding. And, oh, they're just, you know, they're using the funds for something other than what they say they are. And then along comes Operation Green Shield that's on, makes your job more difficult. Um, I think that's the biggest challenge. How do you th- see getting around that? Well, for one, uh, the only organization, if, if I go reach out to an organization, uh, first thing I look at is I, I want to see what they're reporting as their admin fees <laughs> or their admin costs. Yeah, I want to see their track record of where their dollars are going. Um, I'm definitely not going to just say, hey, you're a veteran nonprofit. Come on, jump on board. I, I'm going to know their organization inside and out. Uh, like, like my only organization, our admin, we've, it's written into our bylaws, our admin, Costs will never exceed 15% ever, 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 ever. I don't care how big it gets. I, I, I really don't. I, I don't see that. I want to make sure the most of every dollar goes back to the veteran. That's uh, just my personal philosophy because, like you said, there are a lot of organizations out there and some of them massive that uh, take in dollars and maybe a dime gets back to a veteran somewhere. And that's uh, not acceptable. So, Within the, the network of organizations that I'm building, everyone will, will commit to a certain standard that, you know, we want a certain level of care out of every dollar to go to the veterans that we service. And if they're not on board with that, then, you know, obviously their mission deviates from what we're trying to accomplish. You know, there's 45,000 nonprofit organizations in the United States that are registered under veterans or veterans families. So yeah, that's a lot of people to talk to. That's a lot of, a lot of reach. And no, they're not all going to be the best fit you know, for our mission, but I will find the ones that are. And I'm sure that we'll exceed the reach that the VA has. You know, the VA has 1300 facilities nationwide for healthcare and mental health. And I'm sure I can find more than 1300 organizations that are dedicated to really focusing on putting the veteran first. So how do people find out, Chad? Tell us about Operation Green Shield. Uh, Operation Green Shield, I mean, they can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Our website is very simple, operationgreenshield.org. One thing you want to keep in mind, when you reach out to to my organization as a veteran, uh, as an advocate, as a donor, you will hear back from the president of the organization, the founder of the organization, and that is me. Uh, I'm very hands-on. I, I speak to everyone directly. I don't even have a form letter for responding to people that reach out. I, I literally spend hours reaching out personally. Um, at some point, I know that's going to change. For now, uh, I want to talk to everyone directly. I, I want to make sure that they're, they're dedicated to, to solving these problems the same as we are. That's when you reach out to Green Shield, you're going to hear back from me. Awesome. What kind of um, and great work, by the way. Thank you. 
What kind of message would you give to the non-veteran population about veterans? What do you, what would you want them to know? And then if there's a guy or a gal, you know, getting ready to ETS from their service, whether they're, you know, a first time service member or a, a lifer, what would you want them to know about the transition? So non-veterans and veterans, what would be your, the Chad Walker messages? For non-veterans, um, I think it's it's pertinent. I always tell people that not all wounds are visible. You don't have to go in assuming that a veteran, every veteran has PTSD either, but you need to be aware that it is a possibility and apply the, that kind of understanding in your interactions with a veteran. And definitely don't use it as a, a reason to fear veterans. Anytime you run to a veteran, you're going to run to somebody that has one thing in common. At some point in their lives, they volunteered to protect you. So just acknowledge that, respect that, and know that what that they could be struggling with things that you just don't see. That's that's really the, my biggest thing. I, I stress with people that I talk to whenever they 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 work with veterans or talk to veterans is that you know you have no idea what uh, they may have gone through, but you should definitely respect that they were willing to go through it for you. And then as far as guys that are getting out, one, don't listen to the hype about staying away from the VA that they don't care about you. Uh, there are plenty of people in the VA system that care deeply for veterans. There are a lot of veterans in the VA system. Look at all of your local resources. Look at what kind of veteran services organizations are in your area. Look at what nonprofits are in your area. And when you get to a point where a lot of us do, where you that sudden emergency break loss of mission kind of hits. Take that drive and that desire for a mission and purpose and take it into the veteran community because we, we need that drive. We need that kind of focus and purpose within the veteran community. One of the big things that I also encourage them to remember is a lot of organizations and a lot of people tell them, now you have to transition to civilian life. You were in the military and now you're transitioning to civilian life. That's crap. At no point will you again be a civilian. You will be a veteran of the military. You will be a military veteran. You, you, you don't suddenly just go back and oh, I'm a civilian. It doesn't, everything doesn't erase. And it, that's not a negative thing. That's, you know, the, the skills that you've learned. The daily habits, you know, the, the drive that you found in the military is not something that you had beforehand as a civilian. So why would you want to give that up and just be a civilian? So be proud of being a veteran. You know, don't strive to be a civilian. Embrace being a veteran. Definitely some great advice. You know, Chad, what does freedom mean to you? Man, yeah, freedom, freedom to me is being able to pack up my family, go to the beach and enjoy the time with the people that I love without anyone else being able to dictate how, when, where I do it. You know, that's freedom for me is, is about the freedom to live your life on your own terms. And, uh, that's something that I, I know I struggled with for years before, during, and even after my time in the military. 
And it's only been here in recent recent years that I've really kind of discovered that, that what that freedom is and what it really feels like. And I, I want everyone to have that freedom. As that's not just something for veterans alone. I, I strive for everyone to have that because that's real quality of life. That's pretty cool, man. So freedom is quality of life and so well put, Chad. I just want to say to you know the listeners out there, if you're a business owner and you want to find out about potential clients, what their reputation may be, then I suggest to go online and, and download the app Clientele. It was developed by Chad Walker, a solution for uh, so people can save a lot of time, business owners, on who to deal with and who not to deal with. And if you're a nonprofit and you want to join forces with uh, similar missions without being in competition and to, and to work as one force, if you will, then visit Operation Green Shield. Because Chad Walker, who developed that organization as well, is tracking on something really good for the nonprofit space and for veterans. And if you're a donor and you want to give to a nonprofit that you know that a great chunk of your donation is going to go to the veterans, then Operation Green Shield is one that you need to check out. And um, just want to say I'm honored and humbled to have you here, Chad. I don't know how we may contact Facebook or LinkedIn or something. But I, I do know that you are uh, you're authentic as they come. You're a solution finder. And it's guys like you uh, that make America a better place. And it's guys and people like you that, that, that help veterans from a place that comes from deep inside the heart. And so just got to say, Chad, you, we're going to link up sometime. I know we're going to see each other again. And I just want to say thank you for being on Strata Combat Radio and um, – do you have a personal quote? Is there a Chad Walker quote that we need to put out in the global airwaves? <laughs> oh, let me see. One of my favorites is keep thinking outside the box until it's time to build a new one. Love it. So there you go. Chad Walker, entrepreneur, veteranpreneur, United States Navy veteran, uh, world's finest Navy, innovator, businessman, visionary, helping to make the United States of America a better place. Thank you, Chad. Thanks for having me, brother. You gotta light them up before they burn it down. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. If you liked what you heard, then tell others about us. Like us and download us. And please remember, freedom is not free, and combat veterans are vital assets. They're not broken. <laughs>